to the first Patreon-only podcast for the Prophetic Imagination Station. We're just really excited to get to this point. And I have no idea how this is getting to you because we haven't figured that out yet, but it's like magic. Right. In the future, we will figure out how to get this to our Patreons. Patrons? Yeah, patrons. Patrons. I think that Because we're like uh, medieval artists, right? Mm-hmm. And we have patrons now. Right, yeah. That keep bread in our cupboards. Although I think our ma- like it's kind of the opposite where the masses are the patrons instead of like the church. That's true. I don't think the church is going to be uh, supporting this podcast. Yes, the church should be yes. our patron, right? Right. Paying us to talk about Frank Pretty books that he wrote for children. Right. I just sounded like Moira Rose for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Pretty books for the children's. Anyways. That would be a great job. Uh, would it? Being Moira Rose? <laughs> no. Being paid to talk about the books for the children. Although I think that's what Plugged In Magazine was. So. Ah, good old Plugged In. Right. There are ways to get paid to talk about culture, but not the way that we talk about pop culture. I'm sure Christian plugged, culture. I'm sure Plugged In liked this book. So, Crispin, what book are we talking about today? We are talking about The Door in the Dragon's Throat by Frank Peretti, which is the first in the Cooper Kids series. Right. And the Cooper Kids series was a bunch of books he wrote for kids. Like when I when I was a child, so I was born in 1984. When I was a child, there was four Cooper Kids books. It was like a four pack. Mm-hmm. What about you? Because he, I think he ended up writing eight. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I remember it. Yeah, I remember the four pack. There's like the Fab Four, right? Um, and then you know, I think I lost track after that. I think like, later on he wrote four others. Oh, that so makes in my sense. mind, it's like the original four. It really gets at how like quickly childhood goes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just crazy to think about certain things that you're into for like a year. And if it takes, you know, someone to write like decades to write it, then you're like, I'm not a kid anymore. So I'm not going to read those second four. Right. So do you remember what the four were? Uh, Tombs of Anak, Door in the Dragon's Throat, the underwater one, and the plane one. Okay. I don't remember actually. And I don't have a computer (laughs) near me. Okay, wait a minute. The the plane one was this flying slug one? The uh maybe. Okay, so so the door of the dragon's throat was the first one, and then I think it was the tombs of Anak was about this like scary giant somewhere that lives underground, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the Middle East. They always happen in the Middle East or like the jungles of Brazil or something. Right. And then trapped at the bottom of the sea. Where one of the main protagonists, this like fourteen year old girl, gets trapped in like a bomb at the bottom of the sea, mm-hmm. and then yeah, what was the fourth one? Escape from the Island of Aquarius, or is oh, that a later yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that is okay. I don't really remember that one at all. Yeah. Anyways, I think like if you grew up evangelical or in a family that was really like you could only read Christian things, right? Mm-hmm. This was like a huge boon because it was an interesting. Series. It was definitely thriller. Yeah. Thrillery. Especially if, because your parents are letting you read this, you've led a sheltered life up until this point. Oh, yeah. It's like a shock to the system. So, I mean, we did it the, you know, Christian youth's way, which is my mom read the books to us out loud first, and then we could, like, reread She, like, didn't trust Frank Peretti? I don't know. I just remember. I just distinctly remember her reading them aloud to us, and we would, like, get so freaked out and scream and 
but we loved them. Mm-hmm. So The Door of the Dragon's Throat was my favorite book. And then my older sister, Lindsay's favorite book was The Tombs of a Knack. And when I say favorite, I mean the book that freaked us out the most, which is why we loved it the most. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, definitely The Door of the Dragon's Throat. But I just read it on my own. So I still distinctly remember I was eight years old and I was at this point where it was like, you know, go up and put yourself to bed. Uh, So I just read it until I finished it and then I was just scared. I just remember like hiding under my blanket and seriously being scared. It really freaked me out. It's really sad. That is, however, a common response as I have just tweeted the image of this book cover Uh (laughs) into the interwebs. People definitely remember, like, they don't really remember what the book's about. They just remember how it made them feel. Right. And it made them feel scared. Which is because, in part, it's basically a bottle episode of a book. There's, like, really very little that happens in it. Yeah. Which is why I think we don't really remember. And it's a short book. Yeah. Yeah. Crispin was telling me earlier that he thought this is just a great way for authors to make money, is write short little books for kids. Right. I mean, how long would it take you to write this book if if you just... It's seven chapters long. Right. And they're not long chapters. No. Okay, so before we get too into it, uh, we should mention that we are doing an entire series on Frank Peretti and his mm-hmm. breakout best-selling novel, This Present Darkness, which will be available for everyone. One just, week from today. Yeah, one week from today. Not just for patrons, but for everyone. And we're calling mm-hmm. it Frank Peretti's America, diving into This Present Darkness. And we actually interview... Five, possibly six people is still undetermined. Um, <laughs> and they're all really amazing, and we're excited for it to not just be us two um, cackling in your ears, but we just thought it'd be fun to do a little episode where we talk about sort of like a one off episode about the kids' books because mm-hmm. I know they meant a lot to a lot of us. And we just happened, I decided to get the door in the dragon's throat. So that's what we're doing. And Crispin, you were excited about it, and you read all of it, Very which is quickly. amazing. By the way, Danielle gave it to me for our 12-year anniversary, right? which was thoughtful. So, so romantic. romantic. <laughs> so, Crispin, you're going to recap it, right? Yeah, okay. in 30 seconds. So, basically, the, the, uh, the Cooper kids, the Dr. Cooper and his kids go to this country in the Middle East, summoned by the king, who's like... We've been trying to get in this door because there's treasure, um, but no, everybody keeps dying. The Swiss team dies, like the German team dies, everybody dies, but we've heard that you have great power, so come and do it. Um, and they get close to the door, and then things happen. And then there's this uh, creepy old guy that's like kind of like a shaman who's like, don't go near the door. Um, and then he gives them a key, um, and the key is, and they figure out that this is like a key that has been passed down through generations and is referenced in Revelation 9. And so then they're going um, to open the door, and somebody steals the key to open the door, and then at the last minute they realize like, oh, this is from Revelation 9. All the demons are going to come out. It's not treasure on the other side of the door. It's actually demons. And then uh, they... Stop him, and then everything is okay, and the demons don't get out. Good. Yeah. That's great. Wait, did you mention the name of the fictional country where this is happening? Nippur. Nippur. It sounds like Nepal, but, like, <laughs> not. And it's obviously not Nepal. Right. It's somewhere where, like, there's all these sheikhs and shamans mm-hmm. and some sort of Middle Eastern 
conglomerate or something. Right. right? And it's like a very poor country with like a corrupt government. I don't know. I don't know. It's a mess. Yes. It's a mess. Um <laughs> Okay, before we get into talking about the book, and I skimmed it. I didn't read, like, I didn't read it word for word. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to tell you something, Crispin. Okay, I'm all ears. When was this book published? Do you know? Uh, I want to say 85? Yes. Which means it was before this present darkness? Yes! Oh. This is Frank Peretti's first published book. Really? Yeah. He must have, I don't know. What does that mean? What it, does that mean? <laughs> my brain <laughs> Your is, brain is broken. Right. <laughs> does that, I mean, my my thought is that he maybe, he must have been working on this present darkness while he wrote this. Yeah. So we're going to do a little spoiler here, right? Frank yeah. Peretti was. That's why you guys pay the big bucks for the he spoilers. Grew, he grew up. In a like Pentecostal background, right? Mostly in Seattle, actually. Assemblies of God. He actually went to UCLA and got a degree in film, oh, which I is didn't interesting in screenwriting. He was always into monsters, and then he helped his dad pastoring, and then he just like burnt out really quickly. And so then he, uh, I think he moved to Idaho. Was it Idaho? And he started working, or somewhere in Washington. It was Washington. Okay. And he started working at like a ski factory, making skis. And that's when he wrote this book, and that's when he wrote This Present Darkness. And I, it sounds like he wrote The Door of the Dragon's Throat first, and then maybe he was doing concurrent projects, but they got published a year apart. Here's what I think happened. I think Frank Peretti uh, watched Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. and Which came out in? The Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. Okay, yeah. I think he just started banging away on his typewriter and added some Assemblies of God flair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's what I think happened. I mean, it's really brilliant if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Right? It's about an archaeologist, right. Dr. Cooper. But he, he what what makes this book slightly different is the fact that it's about an archae- a Christian archaeologist, for one, who travels everywhere with his two... Teenage children. Mm-hmm. What, they're like 13 and 14, right? Yeah. Or 13 and 15? Yeah. So Jay is 15 and Lila is 13. Uh-huh. And their mom... Tell me about their mom, Crispin. Yeah, their mom died. I can't remember how. What I remember I think is... it's a snake bite. Oh, okay. What I remember is it basically it's like Mrs. Cooper died, but Lila like stepped into her place. She's unmotherly. Yeah, which is like... Really dysfunctional, actually, that, like, uh, I mean, who knows how long ago, but, like, right at 15, she's sort of expected to play, yeah, this role of mother. It's not, a, like, I don't know why Peretti was like, oh, that sounds like a good thing. Because I don't think he knows how thing. to write women. The only female in this entire book is Lila, uh-huh. a 13-year-old girl who doesn't really do much, right? <laughs> so true. I mean, yeah. So, and this present darkness is much better. So... I remember as a kid just being like, oh my gosh, a Christian archaeologist, and like his mm-hmm. kids are with him. So like, of course, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, did you think that too? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And then what is it like reading it as an adult? Just super boring. <laughs> like I said, it's basically a bottle episode. Like it's seven chapters. 
Very little happens. It's just basically they like hang out in front of this door the whole time. That is not how I experienced it. As an adult, I was like, why would this guy bring his teenage children into this scenario? So the scenario is it's a Middle Eastern country where the corrupt king really wants to get this treasure and he's had these expeditions going into this mine, basically. Yeah, it's like a cavern. And all these teams, people have either died or like really weird things have happened. And then the whole way this is set up is like Dr. Cooper's like, well, I'm not afraid because I follow God, like the true God, the one true God. So this is actually a theme in Frank Peretti's works is like there is this cosmic struggle between God and then basically the other gods. Mm -hmm. And they use that language a lot. They don't even say the false gods. They're just... Uh-huh. And in some ways I'm like, okay, well maybe they're just engaging with like these other worldviews, but it really makes it out to be almost like a Greek Hellenistic, mm-hmm. you know, which you just make sure you pick the right god. Well, you know, I, are you team Zeus or team Hades, you right. know? Right. Yeah. I would say that this one is actually a little bit different than um this present darkness because yeah, there is this sort of like spiritual warfare aspect. But Dr. Cooper is a scientist. Okay. He's a Christian. Well, he's not a Christian scientist. But he's a Christian and he's a scientist. Okay. And so he, like, speaks out of both sides of his mouth, right? Sometimes it's like, curses don't exist because yes. he's a scientist. And then sometimes it's like, Jesus has the power over all curses. Exactly. Right? And so I think that's supposed to be, like, the tension as you're reading the book is, like, oh, my gosh, is this real? Is this not real? And, like, mm-hmm. why is all this earthquake activity happening every time they step towards the door? Why can't they get the door open? And they try and blow the door open and they can't get it. And, you know, and then the end of the book, it's, like, oh, yeah, it's because it's a bunch of demons. And the president, like, gets the key and, like, unlocks the door, and the demons start opening it. But then Jay, the 15-year-old, like, somehow finally gets the key and puts it back in and locks it up. Mm-hmm. And then what I think is interesting is that basically all the tension is coming up to this point where they realize, like, it's not... Like, the inscription on the door and the inscription on the keys, it's not about this mythology that is ancient and Chaldean. It's actually about Satan. It's like a star that fell from heaven, and they keep referencing... Uh, Revelation 9, right? And Dr. Mm-hmm. Cooper's like, I knew I read that somewhere in the Bible. And then they just are like really freaked out because like that means this is, you know, where all the demons are and they're going to come out and they're going to torture everybody and it's right. going to be horrible. It's going to like they're going to swarm the earth like locusts and torture everybody. Yeah. Person. So like that's terrifying, mm-hmm. right? So then it's up to this 15-year-old boy to like relock the door and keep out all these horrible demons from torturing everybody okay Mm -hmm. now you say what you want to say right yeah and so then at the so then right it gets locked away happy ending and then there's yes and then there's like a little break and then there's this little paragraph at the end that basically says you gotta read it yeah just read the last paragraph of the entire book someday the end of history will come Someday Satan will have his very short time of unleashed evil and destruction upon mankind. But now, then, and always, there's only one great power truly in charge. Jesus, the victor, the lamb, the son of the living God. So I read that. (laughs) 
as an eight-year-old in my bed alone Uh, right before I have to turn off the light. So I bet all that religious language in the very last sentence really made you feel good, right? Uh, No. I'm kidding. Of course not. Right, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I was like, what are you thinking? I wouldn't. Right. There's only one God, Crispin. I know. But that God is... It's in his plan to let all these demons out. So when I read it as an adult, I'm like, okay, so Jay stopped it for now, but like it's still coming, mm-hmm. y- you know? Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I feel like that really undermined, in a lot of ways, like undermined my trust in God because it's like, okay, well, he's just waiting for this time, right? I think it says like when it's his will, right, that he wants like, all these demons to come out and torture people. And what if that's me? Like, does he want, you know, that time to be while I'm alive? Yeah. Did you did you catch that at the end of the book, Dr. Cooper does tell his kids, like, if I read the Bible right, we will be long gone by the time this happens. No. Yeah. I, th- I think you were talking about the rapture, perhaps. Okay. But, uh-huh. you know, who knows? Right. But, yeah, it's very subtle, so I'm not sure all kids would catch that, nor would they believe it. You know, it is so talking out of both sides of his mouth. Mm-hmm. It's science, science, science up until it's like, nope, this is actually Revelation sign come to life. Mm-hmm. And we just stopped it. So it's it's really brilliant in a way, right? <laughs> like he takes the trappings of Indiana Jones and then adds in some biblical literalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Yeah, that's what's so painful about it is it is this like, trying to make biblical literalism work (laughs) with a Western scientific worldview. Right. And let's not even get into the racism of this book. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Well, that's what I was going to say is that they call, they, they call the curses. Um, in fact, I was reading a review earlier of one of those like plugged in magazines and they, uh, you know, talk about how all the locals are, um, What's that word? Uh, Superstitious? Yes, right. So they talk about how the locals are superstitious, right? But the Coopers actually believe in the one true God. But, like, you're using sort of the same language. And you're saying in one moment, like, God, Jesus' blood is more powerful than any curse. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you're saying, like, it's sinful to believe in a curse. Okay, I just had I just had an idea, and I think I'm a genius. So you tell me if you think this is true or not. All the Cooper Kids books are set in like other countries where there are a lot of animistic or more pagan or just more spiritually aware religions. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is so that Frank Peretti could be more comfortable expressing his like Pentecostal language? Because I do mm. think fundamentally Pentecostals have a lot more similarity to world religions in general, like if we're just making mm-hmm. these broad generalizations, right? As right. we are in a battle for cosmic power. Like mm-hmm. Pentecostalism, at least how Frank Peretti's interpreting it, fits so much more neatly in there. Like Dr. Cooper wouldn't work in America unless he was like trying to steal artifacts for the Bible Museum, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That'll probably be one of the next ones. Yeah. His client is Chick-fil-A or Hobby right. Lobby or whoever it is. Um, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and so that's what's fascinating, which makes This Present Darkness, which actually became his, you know, best-selling book of all time, is not set somewhere far away or in the Middle East or in the 
jungles of Brazil. It's in like a Norman Rockwell style middle America. And that resonated a lot more with people because they wanted to see their lives as part of a cosmic battle. Anyways, Mm -hmm. I'm getting a little meta here. But I think that's why his books work. Both because of the Indiana Jones appeal and it's like it makes sense that his worldview would be played out better there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. So you did you grow up charismatic? Uh, my teen years were fairly charismatic. But like when you were eight, did any of this stuff make sense? Like I plead the blood of Jesus and like that keeps everybody mysteriously safe the second they say that. No, I, I always was under the impression that the way that you stay safe from demons is by being a Christian. Because someone told me at one point, uh, as long as Jesus is in your heart, then you can't be possessed by a demon. Okay. Have you heard that? Sure. It's like even hard to remember because like, I can't believe this actually was our life. And yet it is. I, I'm just thinking like in this book, The Door of the Dragon's Throat, like Christians are protected at all times, right? They're protected from mm-hmm. the curse. And like even though the demons almost got out, like they still locked them back in. You know, the shaman converts to Christianity and is spared. You know, like, it's definitely the prosperity gospel, right? In Mm -hmm. a sense. Like, if you just call on the name of Jesus. Right. I mean, one one thing that really bothered me in the beginning of the book is that they're telling these scary stories about what's happened to people, and Jay, who's, you know, 15, uh, starts showing that he's scared, and his dad's like, We're not scared, we're Christians. You know, just totally, like, dismisses his, like, nervousness. I I also, yeah. So here's the other thing that didn't make sense to me. And this is probably a terrible thought. This whole time, right? This entire story, it's like, God is bigger than any curse. And if you're a Christian, you don't have to be scared of the door in the dragon's throat. Um, but, like, the whole time I'm like, but, but what about Mrs. Cooper? <laughs> right. That's such a good point. <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Like... There's always a point at which these easy theologies crumble, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, a snake or something bit her. As on one of their travels, she mm-hmm. died. What does that mean? That means, like, just calling on the name of Jesus doesn't protect you from everything, right? Right. But that's what these books want to tell kids. So if I'm thinking about what's good, it's like it was a thrilling story, Mm-hmm. I would say it's better written than other kids, but I don't know. It's probably just right in the middle. I, I say prefer it... Animorphs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. Well, I prefer Jane Austen, but <laughs> Peretti's no Austen. Let's just put it out there. But it's fine He's writing. more Animorphs than Austen. <laughs> He's more Animorphs, yeah. Let's put that as our tagline. Because some people have asked, like, is he a good writer? Everybody re- remembers him being a really good writer, like the Christian Stephen King and I don't think he's as that good. Mm-hmm. But he's not terrible. Mm-hmm. And when your bar is pretty low. Right. And there's like that difference. But like they're good writers and they're good storytellers. So he's, like, he seems to be a good storyteller. Right. Especially for his like specific community. Yes. He was doing something that no one else was doing for Christians. But it's the, I would say it's in particular his Pentecostal beliefs which have lodged these books into our imagination. I don't think we'd be talking about these books if he wasn't a Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. I don't want to like get off too much, but uh, in two thousand or, or ninety nine, somewhere around there, when the first voice of if we're looking back at Adventures in Odyssey, 
the first voice of Mr. Whitaker, the first voice actor died, right? And so they had to have this gap. Mr. Whitaker went to the Middle East. And he did the whole archaeology thing, right? Was he with Dr. Cooper? Of course, yeah. Oh it my gosh, like crossover episode. Crossover episode. Uh, but what they were doing there was they were, you know, investigating this claim that someone found the bones of Jesus. Oh. Which is, I was just thinking about that. That's really different. So Frank Peretti is talking about the, like, Pentecostal and the spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Whitaker is looking for, like, facts and proof and, like, is fighting more of, like, an apologetics. Like, Jesus really did rise from the dead. Yeah. Which is just really interesting to think, like, they go to the Middle East for, like, these two different reasons. One is much more uh, charismatic Pentecostal and one is yeah. way more, like, modernist, like fundamentalist anyway it's interesting i mean so what we've been doing for a few years now is like deconstructing evangelical stuff for kids Mm -hmm. and you know every once in a while i'm like wait why are we doing this i just want to say this book that our parents were like oh this isn't a christian bookstore you can read it or i'll read it to you and i won't see anything weird about it basically teaches all of us kids who we've been told anything our parents say is good is good. And since this book is speaking as, like, Dr. Cooper is an authoritarian scientist and Christian, right? Mm -hmm. Like, did you think this book was just a good story or did you think it could be real? Oh, yeah. Totally thought it could be real. I thought it could be real, too. And so... Eight-year-olds don't have that ability. No, no. Especially because... Sorry. Because it's based on the Bible. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So... So even if Frank Preddy's like, I just write good stories. I don't mean for these to be like spiritual warfare manuals or like actual commentary on the Bible, which evidently he has said about his other books. I just want to say bullshit because you freaking end this book saying, and in the end, this will happen. Right. So like this is teaching kids to be terrified of the end of days and demons being unleashed on the earth and we just better hope and pray like we've said the right prayer. Mm-hmm. That's messed up, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, don't you think? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I That's mean, wild. Yeah. And we've been talking about end time stuff, you and I have a little bit, um, and I re- remember telling you recently like, I was aware that there were, like, these different ideas of, like, how, uh, you know, tribulation would happen. And I remember just, like, praying and hoping that it was, like, a pre-trib rapture, right, where all Christians are taken up before all these terrible things happen, like the demons swarming the earth yeah. and not in the middle. Which I think this actually was one of the reasons that it was lodged in my brain that, like, Christians would be around when this happens. Because there was no, like, reassurance of, like, we'll be raptured first. Well, Dr. Cooper kind of says that. But you missed it because you're an eight-year-old kid. Right. And that's normal, so. And they weren't raptured before it almost happened, so. And whatever almost happened, I'm just like, oh, yeah, well, it's going to happen, like, you know, in a couple of years. Someone else is going to find the key, pop it open. Then them demons are going to come out. Right. Oh, my gosh. What is up with Christian subculture? It makes the Amish romance books look good in comparison. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I would rather Ramona read. No, I don't. I would not actually. Right. Oh my gosh. Do you think that this media is 
more or less harmful than um, Adventures in Odyssey? Well, it had a way bigger impact on me as a child. So I would say, like, the door in the dragon's throat, if you take out every bit of, if you believe in God, then you'll be fine. Um, I think it's a really good story. Like, a good scary story. Mm-hmm. Like, a Goosebumps, but for Christians, right. yeah. which, you know, I was never allowed to read Goosebumps, so I'm just, like, making an educated guess here. So I think it's a great story. I think it's the shoehorning of both prosperity gospel or just like a power centric approach to God, right? Like God will give me power if I, if I do the right things that makes it so messed up. Mm -hmm. And if I read this book with Ramona, which I probably wouldn't, but if I did, I just want to be like, that's how like most people view God. And I think that's really wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I think most world religions have that kind of relationship to God, including a majority of Christians. Mm-hmm. And that is just not how I see God as revealed in Jesus Christ. It's worth noting that Jesus is just a name in this book mm-hmm. that has power because of a blood sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That is not what I want Ramona thinking about, nor do I want her wasting energy on the end times. I wasted so much energy on that as a child and worrying about that. We don't need to get into all that on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. So, no. Would you let her read this? I was thinking about it. It probably like, would not affect her the same way it affected us, though. Right, yeah. Yeah, and we would, like, talk about it. We've just, like, taught her to be such a skeptic in a lot of ways, and in a lot of good ways. Like, you know, just like, yeah, there are lots of different, like, people believe different things. We've never talked about the end times with her. No. That's true. We probably should have that talk. Yes. Before she hears it from someone else. Like family members. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, I don't know where else she would hear about it from. <laughs> oh, growing up in a subculture where the end of days actually was a huge, huge like talking point. Yeah. It's something I'm continually grappling with. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up with the belief that, like, everyone had to hear the name of Jesus? Like, there had to be, like, a like an opportunity for everyone to yes. hear the gospel? Like, that's why, that's why group? I was supposed to be a missionary. Right, yeah. That's why we did the 1040 window. Yeah, that was, like, a big theme. That's why we read of, through like, Operation World. <sighs> yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of prayer meetings in my teenage years around that. Yeah, so we were really glad to be able to talk about... <laughs> you can't see my face right now, but I'm like back in end of days land. I can't stay here. No. It makes me feel sad. Yeah, and we are going to start next week with This Present Darkness, which is sort of a pivot. It is a pivot. It's right? not about the end times. No, and it doesn't take place in another country. But it basically paved the way for 2016 and Mm -hmm. has foreshadowed the culture wars past, present, and future, and it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into the wilds of Frank Peretti, uh, his work on the Christian imagination, and spiritual warfare and American evangelicals. I'm excited. We yeah. talked to some amazing people. Mm-hmm. So you're going to want to hear it. You're going to want to share it with your friends. Right. And thank you guys. If you're listening to this, 
that means you support us and you make it possible for us to do these deep dives uh, so we can read the door of the dragon's throat. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to. If you want to, you should read it because it's a quick read. Yeah. I, we would not recommend this present darkness, but this is not bad. If anyone wants to read another one of the Cooper Kids books and give a short book report to us, we will put you on our podcast. Ooh, that would be fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do it. Do we want to give like a little clue into what the re- like uh, this Patreon only uh, feed is going to have? No, I'm just kidding. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we are going to do some interviews that are going to be really amazing, um, but then we will also periodically discuss those interviews, me and you, uh, for our Patreon only. People. So we're really excited about that. Just so you, a little extra thing. So you can hear our jabbering. Mm-hmm. And we won't have to subject the rest of the world to it. Um, and then also just wanted to give you guys an update because part of uh, supporting Prophetic Imagination Station has um, allowed me to launch the Attachment podcast, which is called Attached to the Invisible. Um, and that should be coming out in later this month in February. So I'm very excited about that as well. And, Just and to, how can people find out information about that? Uh, through Twitter. So K double underscore Mayfield. Um, I will be posting about it in the Facebook group and also on the Patreon. So you guys will be the first to know as soon as there's stuff up. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. And if you see a really old-fashioned bronze key, don't pick it up and take it to the Middle East and unlock a huge door because um, that's going to let all the, the demons out. Mm-hmm.